Welcome to the Hyper Fast Show. In today's episode, we wanted to share with you a truly inspirational and motivational webinar we offered our clients and staff. Our guest, Jason Redmond, overcame incredible obstacles as wounded Navy SEAL and offers insight, optimism, and actionable steps for dealing with these unusual times. We're going to start with Carrie's introduction of our very special guest, Jason Redmond. Welcome to the Hyper Fast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyper fast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyper fast. My name is Carrie Scholl. I'm with the Carrie Scholl team. And the purpose of our event tonight, I have clients on the event, our team members, and our friends. And really, we just want to inspire you. We know that this is a difficult time with everything we're dealing with and the uncertainty of our world right now. Having some, some real inspiration and motivation and positive energy is a great way for us to spend our evening. I am very, very excited to introduce you guys to our speaker tonight. His name is Jason Redmond, and he may not know this. Jason, I was at an event in San Diego, and the video came on when he was walking up to the stage, and before he got there, I felt myself, and I just, I think I had stopped breathing at that point. And I just felt myself kind of in a really intense emotional state. And I remember feeling like, okay, I'm crying. And I almost had anxiety, but it was in a way of like waiting to see what would come. And so his story will just awe you and inspire you. And he is the kind of person that when you meet him, you will never forget him. So I'll tell you a little bit about him, and then I'm going to play the video that played when I was introduced to Jason, because I think it's the perfect introduction for him. So he was born in Ohio and raised moving across the country. He served for 21 years in the U.S. Navy. Jason, thank you very much for your service. 11 of those years, he was an enlisted SEAL. He was a training instructor for the SEAL team and 10 years spent as a SEAL officer. You're going to learn more about his life story here in just a moment. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up the video and share my screen with you now. Jason Redmond, he is a retired Navy SEAL who was wounded while deployed in Iraq. So in September of 2007, I, I was literally at the height of my career. Everybody in life at some point is going to walk into an ambush. Some sort of catastrophic event that's going to rock your world and have this impact on your life. The majority of people who walk this earth have never wrestled with an enemy combatant in the deep blackness of night. I quickly realized I was helpless. I was totally pinned down in front of my guys and there was nothing I could do. I would have given anything to be out of this situation. That day became a benchmark for me. It changed everything in my life. I realized in that moment that I got a second chance at life. Most people, you only get one shot to go through this life and make the most of it. And most people take it for granted. In an ambush, we talk about the point of attack. It's called the X. The reason I survived the one that I was in is because we got off the X. And I said, okay, let's drive forward. We can do this. But everybody out there will go through life ambushes. And these are these hard moments that come along and just knock us off our feet. Because we've all been in that situation where we're like, oh my God, I can't make payroll. How am I going to bring in some revenue right now? We can't make rent. I've felt it. I realized the mark of a man is not found in his past, but how he overcomes adversity and builds his future. But the great thing about major life ambushes, they also can define you and make you better, just like that ambush that I went through. 
If you can create balance in these five key areas of something I call the Pentagon of peak performance, I guarantee you, you will be ready for any ambush that comes along. When I was wounded, I had gone through that journey where I had colossally failed as a leader, where I had guys say, kick him out and take his trident. It is the hardest, hardest road I've ever walked in my entire lifetime. But it built tremendous mental leadership. The only thing stopping you from accomplishing greatness in your life is you. When you are struggling, get off the X and overcome. Welcome, Jason. We are happy to have you here tonight. Hi, Carrie. How are you tonight? I'm good. I'm thrilled to have you. All right. Are we, uh, are we ready to do this? We're ready to do it. Yeah. Okay. So um, I may share some of my slides, but I got to be honest with you guys. I've been doing a lot of Zoom webinars. And I tell you what, I don't like the fact that when you put a slide up, you lose the speaker. It puts the speaker in this little tiny box and you can't see the speaker. And I just, I believe in the power of connection. And I speak a lot with my hands. So, uh, so I just want to say, Carrie, thanks so much for having me on. Obviously, I am a big fan of high-performing teams. And you obviously are running a high-performing team. It's what you do. I came from, you know, one of the most high-performing teams that are out there, you know, the SEAL teams, and now trying to get out and obviously motivate and inspire others. So I just want to thank you for bringing me on. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting time in America right now, really in the world. But, you know, of course, we all live in our own little bubble. And as that bubble gets smaller and smaller, we all feel the impact of it. And uh, I obviously have been through some unique experiences in my life. Uh, I have had some huge successes. And I've had some colossal failures along the way. And I've had some really overpowering, overwhelming anxiety, stress-filled moments. And one of those moments occurred on the battlefield. And uh, it happened on, it happened at a very interesting point in my career, because I have to give you a little background about me. For those of you who don't know me, I, like, like Kerry said in the beginning, I spent 21 years in the SEAL teams, 10 years as an officer, or 11 years as a enlisted guy, and 10 years as an officer. And on that path, highs and lows. And I'll tell you, one of the lows that I sustained was when I was a brand new leader, a brand new officer, and I made some mistakes. I just, ego and arrogance kind of got the best of me. I started to think that I was better and that I knew more than I really did. And here's a little personal tidbit about leadership. You're never quite as great as you think you are. And if you can always remember that, if you can maintain that humility and lean on the people around you and recognize that anybody in your team is a great leader and anyone can bring you a good idea, man, your team will soar. But somewhere along the way, I lost sight of that. And it kind of created this steamroll effect that led me down a pretty dark path that culminated with a perfect storm of a bad decision on a mission in Afghanistan. And I'll tell you, this story would be a lot different if anybody had been lost, uh, if anybody had been wounded or killed because of my bad decision. But thankfully, Nothing happened. The only thing that was wounded or killed was my professional reputation. Just And uh, instead of owning it like we should as leaders, I fought back and I pushed against it. And I said, I did the right thing. You guys are just, this is a witch hunt and excuses. I layered excuses upon excuses upon excuses. I don't want to get too deep into that tonight. The only reason I tell you that is because it was the first major something that I call a life ambush. And we're going to come back to that point. It was the first time in my life I'd truly been on the X and felt that overwhelming feeling of, oh my God, there's nothing I can do. Fast forward about three years, I had built back my trust and my credibility. I had met uh, or I had um, got assigned to a new SEAL assault team, a troop, worked my way back up, earned back the credibility and respect to the guys and found myself as the second in command of a team that was heading over to Iraq to do some pretty heavy lifting. We were going after high-level and mid-level uh, Al-Qaeda and insurgent leaders in the western province of Iraq and had this phenomenally successful deployment in a very, very volatile and violent time in Iraq. And we were literally one week from going home. And I remember a couple of weeks, there was a pivotal moment that occurred about a week 
two weeks prior to us going home, my boss, the number one, and I was the number two, came to me and he said, I want to tell you what an amazing job you've done on this deployment. You know, you've set the example. You really have come such a long way. You know, I know you had some glitches in your past, but I don't see them. And he said, you're ready for the next level of leadership. We've recommended you for the next level of leadership. And as a matter of fact, for these next few missions before we go home, we want you to run in the senior position on the ground, which normally was his position. It's called the ground force commander. They said, we want to groom you for this position. So for the next several missions, I'm going to let you run it. I'm going to stay back in the headquarters and oversee things, but you're going to run it. And I was like, I remember thinking to myself, wow, I did it. I, I, I turned it around. I came back. A week later, we were called out on a mission to go after the number one leader in, Al in the Al-Qaeda organization uh, in Western Iraq, a guy we'd been hunting all deployment. And we launched on this mission, wondering if we were going to get him. Fast forward a couple of hours, and we found him. And uh, my team and I stepped into a very well-executed ambush situation. And I found myself out front of my guys trying to lay down fire as several of our other guys were wounded when I had two enemy machine guns turn on me at the same time. And I suddenly felt myself in this crossfire of overwhelming power and, and magnitude. And I just, I can't even explain it. Just this maelstrom of, of chaos. I could literally feel rounds going by me and bullets about the size of my thumb. And, you know, bullets this big make a supersonic crack when they go by you, but they're so big and they're, they're, it, it's pushing so much mass at such a high rate of speed. It's literally creating a shockwave and you can feel it when it goes by that close. And I could feel it all around me. It felt like I had a bunch of angry bees buzzing by me. And then on top of that, I was getting hit. I was struck in the body armor. I was struck. Uh, I took two rounds in the left elbow. I took a round off my helmet. I was taking rounds off my gun as I was trying to shoot back. And then I took uh, the rounds in the arm, of course, which I literally, I can't even describe it. It felt like I had been struck by a bolt of lightning in my arm and it traveled up my arm. And then it felt like this bolt of lightning slammed me in the back of my skull. And I suddenly couldn't feel my arm. And my immediate thought was, oh my God, my arm got shot off. And I tried to keep shooting and I was yelling to my guys. And then I turned to try and move back to the only point that, um, of cover, something that would stop bullets when I was shot in the face. And uh, it knocked me out. And when I came to, I, I'm not going to get into all the details of this story tonight because there's a lot I want to go over. But I will tell you this. When I came to, I was laying flat on my back and there was literally bullets traveling about eight inches above me. My guys, who were about 15 yards behind me, were shooting over me at the enemy, a larger enemy force, these two machine guns and about we estimate anywhere from 12 to 13 other enemy fighters, and they were shooting over me back at my guys. And I remember coming to, I'm, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm trying to figure out what happened. And I remember thinking to myself, this is a really bad situation. And then I remember feeling this overwhelming feeling of doubt and depression of, oh my God, I'm going to die here. And there's nothing I can do. And all of this is out of my control. So why do I tell you that? Because those three phrases right now in this country are the number one things I am hearing from friends of mine and business owners out there. Oh my God, there's no hope. There's nothing I can do. And it's totally out of my control. And I, and I want to tell you right now that those are lies. They're all lies. They're little lies that live inside your head that just aren't true. And the problem is when we're totally overwhelmed and our world has been turned upside down, it's easy to focus on the negative and it's easy to focus on the overwhelming and the bad things that are occurring. But the reality is you have a lot of power to push through that and start to recognize that you can still take ownership of that situation. And so the first thing is there's always hope. I don't care how bleak the situation is. Hope is one of the most powerful things that we have. Our ability to motivate and inspire others, our ability to look for the positivity and the intense negativity, it is always there. Hope is what drives us into the future. Hope is what drives us out of disasters and problems. So you always know that there is hope. So never ever buy into this idea that there's no hope. Number two, there, don't think about there's nothing I can do. I will tell you that when I was laying there, I did think to myself, I'm really banged up. Like, 
And if I sit up, I'm going to be shot. So I did come to the uh, exception or the, the acceptance that, uh, that we have a saying in the military uh, that you can be wounded or you're out of the fight. We call it your combat ineffective at that time. And I recognized very quickly I was combat ineffective. But I started to think about, you know, okay, what can I control? And we're going to come back to that, which leads me to that next point about what can you control? In that moment, there really wasn't a whole lot I could control. But I knew this. I knew from being a leader and having had to medevac some guys and also have done a lot of study under understanding the medevac system and the medical system in Iraq, that if I could get to the combat support hospital, these amazing military medical professionals with a pulse, I had a 90% chance of making it home alive. And I thought about my wife and kids. Uh, I was married. I had three kids. My son at that time was eight. My, young, my middle daughter was five and my youngest daughter was two. And I thought, that is what I can control. I can control focusing on staying alive. And I've had, you know, I've had some naysayers out there saying, well, you know, you can't control whether you live and die. You know, that's absolutely not true. I have the ability, you, science has proven that willpower, now I may not have been able to sit there for hours, obviously leaking a lot of my blood into the soil, but they have shown that willpower and your ability to fight and hang on absolutely plays a critical part. This brain, this body that you have can do amazing things. And that is what I focused on. I just focused on you've got to stay awake to stay alive. Stay awake to stay alive. That was what was in my control. The next thing I started to think about what I had been taught in my special operations career. Because you see right there in that moment where you feel that massive amount of overwhelmingness, that massive amount of anxiety, that feeling of no hope and loss of control, we call that the X. And in the, in the military, the X is anytime you're in the point of attack, you're in the point of an incident, you're in the point of an ambush. But over my time that I've worked with companies going through crisis failure or trying to implement massive change, I've worked with individuals that have been through massive trauma, wounded warriors that have been through massive trauma that are trying to do this. I've come to recognize that all of us get on the X. Right now, America's on the X. Businesses are on the X, families are on the X, a lot of you are on the X. It's just, it's part of the nature of a massive incident. But the great thing is what I had learned in my military career and my SEAL career that the number one thing you can do when you get on the X, when you get on that point, is you have to get off the X as quickly as possible. And that was the next thing I had in my mind, what I could control. I thought about my guys are fighting, we're coordinating these different things. We're going to get out of here. We're going to get off the X, which gave me hope. You see, when we look for the positive, it's one of the most critical things. So we control what we can in the midst of chaos and crisis. So many people, when they're on the X, they want to focus on what's behind them. They want to focus on, but I want the world that I just had. I, I want all those. I want, I want, I want this great business back that I had. I want the amazing deals and the revenue. And, you know, I, I want my freedom to be able to go where I want and do what I want to do. So many people focus on that. But what they should be focusing on is the future and the opportunity in the moment and what you can control. This is the idea behind getting off the X. So when they finally, my teammates fought back, we ended up calling in fire directly in a, on our position. As a matter of fact, to this day, it is the closest fire mission, meaning we, we literally called bombs directly on our position to get us out of there. And uh, it, it was so close that the Air Force originally said, no way, we will kill you guys if we do this. And uh, three times my team leader requested these munitions. And finally, on the third time, they made him give his initials because if we had been killed, they wanted to say, hey, he demanded it. You know, it wasn't us. We called in this fire, and my team leader, who I owe my life to, did an amazing job. The Air Force did an amazing job. It enabled us to get out of there alive. And the whole time, I was focused on those two things, getting off the X and controlling what I can. Stay awake to stay alive. Stay awake to stay alive. I focused on that. They medevaced me. Fast forward 96 hours, I found myself in a hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. And uh, amazing, the military medevac system that I, you could, I was wounded early on Thursday morning 
And by Sunday night, I was back in the United States, having gone through multiple surgeries, uh, surgeries in Baghdad, surgeries in Balad, surgeries in Landstuhl, Germany, and then put on this amazing ICU plane that flew me back to the United States and got me home. And I remember waking up like the next day and uh, the initial euphoria of surviving was starting to wear off. And I was being inundated with all this information from these doctors. Lieutenant Redman, uh, you suffered catastrophic injuries. Uh, you are, your, your face is shattered. Uh, your orbital floor is gone. All the bones above, the, pretty much the right side of your face is destroyed. You're wired shut. Uh, you've lost your nose. You are trached. We're feeding you through a stomach tube. Um, you took massive damage to your left elbow. You have no use of your left hand. You've got massive nerve damage. We're thinking about amputating your arm. You're too weak from all the blood loss to even get up. We've had to transfuse a whole bunch of blood. And by the way, it's probably going to take years to put you back together. And I remember thinking there, laying there thinking to myself, oh my God, I feel like I'm right back in this firefight. Like it wasn't the actual bullets and bombs on the battlefield, but I felt like I was being hit by the bullets and bombs of a life. And that's what happens in life ambushes. That's what so many people are feeling right now in this pandemic. They're being hit by the bullets and bombs of life. And I got to tell you, they're just as painful and just as overwhelming as what I felt on that battlefield by enemy fire. Because I meet so many people who want to say to me, oh my God, I can't believe what you went through. I could never, I, could, I can't even compare to that. But here's the thing, the human body, when you're going through stress and anxiety and you're, you're in the fight or flight mode, it doesn't register in your brain, oh, this is a gunfight, so we should be at max fight or flight. It goes, oh, you're in a high stress fight or flight situation. You're in a car accident. Uh, you are in a life-threatening illness, your sexual trauma, whatever it is, when you go to fight or flight, your body reacts in the same way. And your body would be reacting the exact same way with whatever you're going through as mine did in that firefight. They're the same. And they were the same when I was laying in that hospital bed, being overwhelmed with everything they were telling me. Right about that moment, there were a couple of people that were visiting in my room. And they, um, they started to have a conversation off to the side of my bed. And the doctors were all talking, but I caught pieces of the conversation. And the conversation went something like this. What a shame. We send these young men and women off to war and they come home broken and battered. And they're never going to be the same. They're never going to be able to get back out there and achieve their American dream. What a waste. And I remember hearing that, thinking to myself, is that true? Is that like my future? Is this who I am? Once again, I went back to those critical two things. Control what you can, look for the positivity, and get off that X. Don't ever, let, don't ever let anybody put you on an X. You control yourself. You control your decisions. You choose to get off that X. And that's exactly what I did in that moment. When they left the room and my wife came back in, I motioned to her because I couldn't talk, of course. I can only write. And I wrote to her, never again. Never again is somebody going to come into my room feeling sorry for myself because I vow I will never feel sorry for myself again. I will drive forward. I will be positive. And this is, um, I want to share this slide with you. And in that moment, I wrote out a sign. And I chose positivity in the face of negativity and adversity. And what I wrote was this, attention to all who enter here. If you're coming in this room with sadness or sorrow, don't bother. The wounds that I received, I got in a job that I love, doing it for people that I love, defending the freedom of a country I deeply love. I'll make a full recovery. What is full? That's the absolute utmost physically. I have the ability to recover. And I'm going to push that about 20% further through sheer mental tenacity. This room you're about to enter is a room of fun, optimism, and intense rapid regrowth. If you are not prepared for that, go elsewhere. That is the power of choice. That is the power of choosing positivity in the face of negativity. And guys, I got to tell you, there is an amazing facet of this that most of us fail to understand. When we choose positivity in the face of negativity, in the face of a storm, in the face of the chaos, it creates massive positive ripple waves that go out in all directions. And you never know the impact of what those positive waves are going to do. I wrote that sign for myself, but I also wrote it as a statement to my wife, my family, and anybody around me. That, those ripples have gone out since that day 
that day was almost 12 years ago, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, 12 years ago, 12 and a half years ago, hard to believe. But that ripple has gone out now and it has impacted millions of people. Millions of people have seen that sign. I have had individuals that have had cancer take that sign and put it on their door. I've had in, individuals that have been grievous accidents. I've had individuals that have had family members in grievous accidents. The uh, Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates, wrote about it in his book. First Lady Michelle Obama wrote about it, not once, but twice in her book. So this is something I want to tell you guys, the power of, the power of choosing that positivity in the, in the face of negativity. So once we do that, guys, now you understand the power of getting off that X. And here's a little clue. You don't have to be a Navy SEAL to do this. I hear so many people try and say that to me. Oh, you were a Navy SEAL. It doesn't matter. The overcome mindset is merely a choice. It is a choice to drive forward. And when you decide to get off that X, having worked with all these different individuals, companies, people that are going through this pandemic right now, people that their companies were shut down. My, my company has felt it. So we took a 96% reduction in revenue in about a 72-hour period that has impacted us for months. I mean, obviously, the event industry is totally shut down. So for us, we felt it. But the bottom line is this. I knew you have to get off the X. I knew that I can't focus on the past. I can't focus on the negativity in the present. And the thing from working with all these companies, all these wounded warriors, all these individuals, is the individuals and the companies that get off the X the fastest, they don't just survive the crisis. Guys, they thrive from it. They grow and they get better from it. So, all right. I know some of you are saying, Jay, this is awesome, man. I'm so pumped up. How do I do this? Well, I'm so glad you asked because that's what I want to tell you next. So, in the military, we have something called immediate action drill. So, if something bad happens, then we want to immediately react to it. And in the civilian world, you know, we try and do things like that. What I've come to find is that a lot of companies, a lot of individuals live their lives not really being proactive and thinking ahead, but they try and deal with crises after the fact. Really good companies will plan ahead, really good individuals, but most people don't. So I have a tool that we have designed called the REACT methodology. In order to get off the X, you've got to react to overcome. REACT is an acronym that basically gives you a step-by-step -step process to get off that X as quickly as possible. The R stands for recognize. You have to recognize you're in a crisis. And this is one of the biggest things. I don't know what it is about human beings, but when we get into this overwhelming, stress-filled, anxiety-filled situation, there's a natural tendency in the beginning, and even sometimes for a delayed period of time, to be in denial about what's going on. To just be like, ah, it's not that big a deal, or you know, if I wait long enough, it'll go away, or it doesn't really matter, there's nothing I can do, so I'm just gonna wait it out. All bad, bad decisions. In a crisis, your ability to recognize it as quickly as possible is one of the most critical things you can do. It is the point in time that once things are starting to develop, you need to be loud and proud going, Houston, we've got a problem. It is that first initial point. The faster you can recognize there is a problem, the faster you can start to move off that X. Number two, you've got to evaluate your assets and inventory. This is where we go from that no hope. There's nothing I can control. It's, you know, there's nothing I can do to, oh, wait a minute. I have tools that I actually can use to deal with this. So this is the very first thing we do. Once we recognize, we start to look at what do I have? What are the tools in my toolbox? So believe it or not, when I was laying there all shot up, I knew I was combat ineffective. I knew I was out of the fight, but because of my training and because of you know, this get off the X mindset, I started to think about, okay, it's a really bad situation, but what do we have? Well, I knew we had a Marine Corps quick reaction force that wasn't that far away. I knew we had helicopters. I knew I had uh, our other team about 150 yards away. I knew I had uh, Air Force Special Operations flight doctors on a medevac platform waiting for us. I knew we had the Air Force AC-130 gunship. These were all the assets in my inventory. Life is no different, whether it is a personal crisis, like maybe it's within your family, you know, maybe it's uh, reserves in the bank, maybe you need an attorney, maybe you need a counselor, maybe you need a priest, 
or it's in your business. And maybe you need your attorney, maybe you need your board, maybe you need a, a, a top level consulting company to help you pivot and decide where you're going to go. It doesn't matter. These are all assets in your inventory. And the faster you assess them, the faster you can get off the X. Number three is you've got to assess possible options and outcomes. Now, oftentimes what happens when we get to this step is there, there becomes this little sense of urgency where it's like, oh my God, I'm in a crisis and oh my God, I need to do something. And oh, I have these tools. Let's go right now. Good. But oftentimes people will actually make a decision too quickly. They will impulsively just choose the very first thing. This is where it's critical that we look around and we evaluate what is the best decision in this crisis. Very rarely are we in a situation where we truly need to react within seconds when we know what tools we have. Believe it or not, even in a gunfight, if we have, if we're behind a wall or we're behind something that stops bullets, we have time. We have time to look around and see what's going on and for us to look at our options and then think through what are the outcomes. A lot of people look at the options, but they don't think through, well, what if we do this, what's the secondary and tertiary effects of doing it? By thinking through this, it really starts to allow us to decide what really is the best decision. Believe it or not, you get a good team of people around you, very quickly you're able to analyze this stuff and decide this is the way we should go. Number four, C, you've got to choose and communicate. Oftentimes leaders sometimes get stuck in this point. And make no mistake, every single person on here is a leader. You are a leader of yourself, you are a leader of your family, you're a leader in your community, and obviously you're a leader in this business. And guess what, guys? When you're a leader, there's no on-off switch. You've got to be a leader all the time. And what happens is when leaders are dealing with a crisis and they're trying to make a decision, sometimes they start to, they've gotten all the information they feel they need, whether it's between 40 and 70%. You know, there's a method, there's a formula out there that Colin Powell actually talks about. Whatever it is, there's a natural tendency for some leaders to sit there and think too long about it. And they're cycling through, yeah, maybe option A was good. And I know the team said C, but I wondered about B. And in a crisis, guys, it's not time to do that. It's time to choose and communicate. This is going to accomplish two things. One, it's going to accomplish a little bit of accountability. When you finally state out of your mouth, this is the direction we're going, you have, finally, you have created some accountability. People are expecting you to execute. And it's human nature. When we articulate it, now we feel, uh, we feel pressure to go ahead and do that. Number two, the X has its own magnetic pull, its own gravitational pull. You are never on the X by yourself. I don't care what life ambush you're going through. Even if you think it's only you, guess what? Your friends feel your pain. Your coworkers feel your pain. Your spouse, your kids. You have to be the one to get off that X. And when you communicate to others around you, it gives them hope because they're watching you in pain, they're in pain, and they're waiting for somebody to say, oh my God, what do we do? We're in this crisis. So you have to communicate. And especially when you're the leader, people are looking for you to make a decision. Communicate. And now we're going to drive forward and give people hope. And the last one, guys, you've got to take action. So many people will wait for the perfect moment. They'll be sitting on the X and they've gone through the react. They've chosen, they've communicated. And then they're like standing there and they're like, okay, okay, we're going to go right. No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Let's, let's wait. Uh, and we're going to go. No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And I watch this happen all the time. I watch businesses that are like, I know we're in a crisis, but we're getting ready to close this deal. And we really need this cash flow to deal with it. So let's just wait till we close this deal. And then it goes on and it goes on. Never forget, the X is like quicksand. The longer you sit on it, the harder it is to get up and move. Momentum is key. Take action. Movement is life. Even if you move from one spot and you end up finding out that the next spot is not that great or even puts you on another X, you can utilize the momentum you've already created to move through that one. It is hard to get off the X after you've sat there forever. So we got to get off that X. Build that mindset. So how do we do that? How do we do other things, especially right now in this pandemic? How do we make things happen? So many people I'm talking to are like, Jay, my world is turned upside down. I'm, I'm working from home. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm now the teacher for my kids and I want to take a drink at 1030 in the morning after algebra, you know? So 
human beings thrive on productivity. And right, and productivity is accomplished by two critical things: structure and progress. And right now, both those things have been thrown out the window. So you have to build your own. And I teach something called the three rings of excellence. And the three rings of excellence for productivity are something called point man, moving the needle, and GSD. And we're going to talk about those three things. Because now that we've gotten off the X, now we got to continue to make things happen. Regardless, we, we, we're out of the crisis now, but now we got to keep moving. So the very first one is point man. Now, some of you may know a little bit about the military. Some of you may have heard the term point man. Some of you may know it. Some of you may not. But I'll tell you, a point man is an individual in the military who is trained as our navigator. They're experts in navigation. They're experts at getting us where we need to go. And they do all kinds of studies of the terrain and the map and the threats and the potential enemy activity and where they think it would be best for us to walk to avoid those threats and what happens if we get off course to get us back on course. In order for them to do that, despite all the technology we have, we always use a compass to make sure we're getting where we're going. Because guess what? The world can get turned upside down and suddenly you're having to go back to your basic set of skills. Huh, does that sound familiar right now? I think it does. So as a point man, we need two things to get where we're going. We need a clearly defined destination and we need a set course. We need a bearing. On a compass, there's 360 degrees. When you have a clearly defined destination, we set that course. So many people I know will either A, have a vague destination. Well, I, I, I want to go that way. Well, what's that way? You know, I go into companies and I say, give me your really defined mission. I want to hear it. And it's broad. And if I go to different people in the company, several people in the company, well, I don't know what the mission is. I work in uh, sales and it's my job to sell these widgets. Well, what's the point of this company? I don't know. I just sell widgets. That person does not know the destination. It's critical for leaders to be able to articulate that. And the second component, you have to have a set course on how you're going to get there. And the problem is a lot of people will set their course. And then when things go wrong, they get off course, but they never pull their compass back out to make sure they're heading towards that destination. Uh, it is essential in a crisis to bring your compass out on a regular basis to make sure you're heading to your destination. And here's the thing, in a crisis, oftentimes our destination will change. We have to reevaluate. The night that I was severely wounded, our mission, our destination was to capture or take down that high-level terrorist leader. As soon as we were all shot up and we had multiple people wounded, the mission instantly changed. The destination changed from a what we call a direct action mission to a rescue mission. Right now, there's businesses all over the country that are having to do, do the same thing, but there's so many of them that are not. There's so many that are continue looking at the old destination, not realizing they need to change. They need a new destination, a new course. A point man is the one that does this. But guys, I got bad news. <laughs> no point man's going to show up at your door and knock and be like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm the point man that Jason Redmond sent over to help you get to your destination and set your course. It doesn't work that way. You have to be the point man for your own life, and you have to make sure that you are setting that course in your own personal life, in your family, in your community, in your business, and that you are constantly pulling your compass out to make sure you are on course. And when things get hard, and I, I'll be honest, guys, in this pandemic, I felt it. I mean, how many of you feel like I do, that I'm, I'm, I'm working harder than I have in so many years for almost no money? <laughs> right here, baby. So. I constantly have to pull my, my compass out and say, where am I going? Well, that's my destination. And if I know it's the right destination, then I stay the course. In a storm, when the waves are crashing and we can't see, we oftentimes, it's easy to get overwhelmed and question if we're on the right course. But that compass, it doesn't lie. It tells us we're on course. So guys, be the point man for your own life. So number two, you have to move the needle every day. Right now, there's a, it's an easy tendency to, we're a little bit all over the place. So this is where that structure and that progress come into play, those two components that enable productivity. If we know what our destination is, if we've set the course, now we're starting to get down into the, what we call the operational levels. 
And I break that down into one critical thing. You should have forward progress every day. And here's a clue. It's not just in your business. I think it's critically important. And in America, we tend to focus so much on our business, but I watch so many people that really aren't totally balanced. And that's why I teach something called the rule of three Ps. And the rule of three Ps is this. There are three things that you should write down every day that's going to keep you balanced and take care of you and make sure you're moving the needle. That by the time you get to the end of your day, no matter what went wrong, you know, no matter if, you know, <laughs> no, no matter if doing homework with if your kids left you crying, them crying, and your husband crying, and your wife crying, and the dog was crying, no matter what, if you accomplish these three Ps, you're like, you know what, I moved the needle today. And that is what makes a difference. The Japanese talk about a principle called the Kaizen principle. It's small incremental changes lead to big gains. Moving the needle is about these big gains. So every day you're gonna write down these three Ps. You get up in the morning and it's gonna be one physical, one personal, and one professional. Physical is critical, guys. This machine that we walk around in is amazing, but it's designed to move. And right now in this pandemic, there are a lot of people that are not moving. It has become an excuse to sit on their computer and work and then binge on Netflix and make way too many trips to the refrigerator. Guys, you got to move this body. When we are stressed, when the cortisol levels are high, it is bad for us. And moving your body helps to flush that stuff out. So some of you right now may be like, oh man, I, I haven't worked out in years. That's okay. It's never too late. You can just start with a 30-minute walk every day. It doesn't matter. But get outside, move your body, one physical goal a day. You will be amazed after several weeks how much better you feel. Number two, a personal goal. So many of us have this weird, crazy schedule, so they're focused on, on the professional, but it's so critical not to neglect our personal side of life. It's who we are. It makes us who we are, and we feel better about ourselves when we leave those things to go to the wayside. I don't know about you, but if we let our house get too out of control, like I start getting anxious. I start getting stressed because I'm walking through the house, and I'm like, oh, my God, we got to clean that. I got to put that away. I got to do this. I got to do that. Like when we do it on a regular basis, I feel good. We check that box. If you've never watched the video, Make Your Bed by Bill McRaven, Bill McRaven was an amazing SEAL admiral that I worked for. He gives an incredible speech at the University of Texas uh, several years ago. Just Google Bill McRaven, Make Your Bed. That speech is about those critical things, productivity, structure, and progress. And what he talks about, it's one simple personal thing. You get up in the morning, you make your bed. It, 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 it is amazing the power of doing things like that. So every day, guys, whether it's maybe balancing your checkbook, maybe it's cleaning the kitchen, maybe it's cleaning the, uh, clearing out that closet you haven't had a chance to, cleaning the garage, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. One thing personal, some of the great things that I look at, you know, is I want to have dinner with my family tonight. That's going to be a big one personally because, you know, just because when I'm on the road, I don't get to do that as much. So there's amazing gifts that are there if you're willing to find them. And number three is professional. Do something that moves the needle professionally. And I have a lot of people that have said to me, well, I'm out of work or I'm out of this or we're not able to close any deals right now because we're not allowed to do anything. There's still so much that you can do. I know, like many of us, I'm putting out a massive amount of content. It's, it's practically a full-time job for putting out the amount of content. And I was talking to a fellow uh, um, speaker and influencer out there today, and we were talking about something. He said something to me, and I was like, oh, my God, that is so powerful. Because sometimes you get in this grind, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm not moving the needle. But he said to me, you never know who may be reading your content. Today's post maybe tomorrow's lead and next year's big deal. That's moving the needle. That's doing things that you know that right now they may not be having the impact, but guess what? We go back to our clearly defined destination and our course. These are the things that are making a difference. All right, and number three is GSD. So what does GSD stand for? Well, it's, uh, uh, it, I'll give you the, uh, the nicer version, get stuff done. So every day when you write those goals down, you got to get them done. Don't write things that are so big that you can't accomplish them. The rule of three Ps means you have to accomplish them before the end of the day. So they're small chunks that A, give you structure, and B, they give you progress. You move the needle. If you're, if you're, you know, 
If your goal is I'm going to paint the entire house in one day, it is an unrealistic goal. And by the end of the day, you're going to feel terrible because you didn't even come close to accomplishing it. So it's about doing these little things. It's going to be good for the mindset. And guess what? You will move that needle every day, but you have to do it. You have to get stuff done. The difference between high performers and people that are just marginal or average in their life is high performers get stuff done every day. They move the needle every day. So if you put it out there, execute on it. All right, I got one more point, and it is this. A lot of people have talked to me, and, and I've even felt it. I'll be honest. A couple of weeks ago, my workouts were starting to slack, and I felt like I was just going through the motions. And somebody said to me that I was talking to, they were like, man, I just got to tell you, I'm losing my motivation. And I said, yeah, me too. But you know what? That is the critical difference between discipline and motivation. Motivation is going to go away from time to time. You're going to have hard times. When you're, when you're in the middle of a storm, you're not going to want to do some of those things to move the needle. Discipline is what makes that difference. It's doing it anyways. It's getting stuff done. So understand the difference between that. Because I, I, I hear some people say, well, I just wasn't motivated to do it. Well, you're not going to be. Because sometimes when it's hard and the storm's pounding down on us, you're not going to be motivated. Instead, be disciplined. Execute it. Get to the end of the day. You'll look at those three Ps and you'll be like, man, I did it. And I'm ready to attack the day tomorrow. So, guys, that is the secret. And it's not a secret. It's not a Navy SEAL thing. It's a human thing. And you have the ability to get off that axe and overcome anything in your life. Use that React methodology, and, uh, and I guarantee you it will make a difference for you. I'm going to share my screen one more time, and then we'll open it up for, uh, for any questions. But uh, if you are interested in a downloadable Move the Needle Action Plan, it just, it's a downloadable piece of paper that has the React methodology, and it also has the rule of three Ps on the other side. So it's something you can print out to look at every day. Go to getoffx.com slash, I'm sorry, slash overcome. That's a typo by my team. I apologize for that. But it's getoffx.com slash overcome. And uh, you can download our, you can download that handout. So, all right, guys, I would love to open it up for questions if that's okay, Carrie. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Hey, that's a great point. We'll get right back to it. But first, I wanted to talk about a problem that so many real estate agents are facing. In fact, nearly 90% of agents are facing this problem. And that's the problem of going out of business. And then most of the ones that do are still struggling. They're struggling to get the results they want. But look, it doesn't have to be that way. I know because it wasn't that way for me. In my first year in real estate, I sold over $22 million in real estate volume. I wrote about it in my best-selling book, The Hyper-Local, Hyper-Fast Real Estate Agent, but I wanted to do something more for the industry. That's why I created the Hyper-Fast Accelerator Program. Now, I know what you're thinking, not another coaching program, or and I get it. The problem isn't lack of information. The problem is who to actually trust, who to believe, and most professional coaches never even sold themselves. So whether you're selling 10 homes and want to get to 20, or you're selling 20 homes and want to get to 50, we can help right? We've done it. I've grown my team from 22 million volume to now over 400 million in volume. It's one of the top real estate teams in the country. This is what separates me from most real estate coaches. Like I'm still in the game. What I'm going to teach you in this program is stuff that's actually working today in my business, right? What would your life look like if you sold just one more home a month? If that's something you're interested in, if you want to get those types of results. Click on the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash hyperfastcoach and sign up for a free discovery call. And look, we don't take anyone and everyone, right? The problem with most real estate coaches is that they do, right? They try to cater to the masses. So we only take a few people on purpose because we want to provide highly strategic, individualized, personalized service to help you get the type of results you want and achieve your goals. Click on the link below, sign up for a free discovery call, and I'll see you soon. Your story is incredible. Incredible, incredible. I'm uh, but don't ever let that, don't ever compare yourself. I'm telling you guys, the life ambushes you're going to go through. And I got bad news. This pandemic is not the last life ambush you're going to go through. We're going to be, we're going to see more and hopefully, you know, it won't be on this crazy level that this one is, 
but I guarantee it may be even more painful depending on how more personal it is to you. So build this mindset. Don't make a difference. Don't compare yourself to me. Compare yourself to you and your ability. You have the power to get off that X. Jason, we have a couple questions coming in. Alicia asked, what's the biggest key to finding discipline? So the great question, the biggest key to finding discipline is understanding your destination and setting that course. When we forget about our destination, it's easy to lose discipline because we just feel like, oh, all the things I'm are doing are not making a difference. Like right now, it's really easy in this pandemic. I felt it. I'm like, God, man, I'm grinding so hard for no money. And uh, but I know where I'm going and I know that this too will end. And someday all the, the efforts I'm putting into, like I'm designing a new consulting program, I'm putting out some online content or some online courses. I'm starting to plan two new books. These are things that are going to have a long-term impact. They are in line with my destination, and that is on course in this storm. That allows me to have discipline every day to get up and achieve it. And, and, and I, love, I love this that my buddy and I were talking about. You, know? you don't know who's looking at what you're doing. Right now, today, somebody could be inspired. You know, if you're putting out some amazing content on what you guys are doing, somebody could be inspired and you may not hear from them for a year, but they may reach out to you and say, you know what? I just want to let you know that you put something out during the pandemic and I started following you and I really love what you do. And that's why I've come to you a year later. I mean, it's weird how the world works. That's how you maintain discipline. Amazing. We have another question in the chat. What's the first thing you do every day from Jeff Clark? And then Libby Bish also asked, what's your morning routine? So it's kind of yes. goes hand in hand. I love it. So my morning routine, my morning routine is I get up, I drink a glass of water, and then I make my JR Overcome coffee. So JR Overcome coffee is Bub's collagen protein. It's Bub's MCT powder. It's a little bit of creatine. And then it's Kitu creamer. So I get protein. I get some good stuff. I get my brain working. Then I go sit down and I like to read. It's my time of the day that I'm reading. And uh, I typically get up between 5.30 and 6. The rest of my household gets up and that's my time, man. And I like to read. I take a lot of notes. because a lot. I like leadership books. And uh, those books always stimulate different things that I'm working on. I'm like, oh, wow, they really saw this a different way. But I'm working on a concept that's like that. So I'm usually taking notes while I read. After that, I look at my day. If there's anything on social media, I normally take a look at that. If there's any edits that need to be done, the last thing I do, I have a daily Bible verse that I get sent. I read that, I pray, and then I go get my workout in. So that is my morning routine. And I tell you what, it helps me set the day. One of the biggest things it enables me to do is think. During the day, when we get into the grind of the day, it's tough to find that time to think because you're pulled in all these different directions. And, and that is probably one of my most creative times where I'm writing and I'm creating stuff during my morning routine. Um, we have a couple of people raising their hands. I'm going to allow Dave to talk. I'm sorry. That was an accident. I I, that was an accident. I'd love to well, talk. Well, guess what? <laughs> Nothing in life is an accident. So I have a feeling there's this question burning inside you and maybe fate just prompted you to ask it. Okay. What in the last week, uh, Jason, did you encounter that was tough that you use your, your techniques on? I'll be honest. I won't lie. I um, I had an interesting epiphany earlier this week. So I have a friend. I, I realized that I wasn't pushing myself quite as hard as I should be in certain areas. And I realized that I was starting to do something that I think happens to, to, to leaders as we start to get to a certain level. Because we've, we've, we've accomplished stuff and we've done stuff and we've been through some grind. So sometimes there's a tendency, I really don't need to do that. So a good friend of mine who is a fitness beast, he's the co-host of my podcast, Ray Cash Care. Ray, Ray is 48 years old, and he can hold his own with any young 20-year-old in fitness. He is just a beast. And uh, Ray has been doing this thing called the 1020 Challenge every Sunday. And the 1020 Challenge is 1,020 push-ups in an hour. Every minute, you are doing 17 push-ups. And he's been trying to get different people to go onto his lives with him and do, put, do it with him. And he's been trying to get me to do it. And, and I've, been, I've just been deferring. And I will be perfectly honest. I was deferring because I truly believed I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm banged up. And I wondered, you know, man, will my elbow even hold up? I mean, I'm in pretty good shape for a guy that got all shot up. 
but I was like, I don't even know if I can do it. And then here's the real, here's the reality. I didn't want to fail in front of people. I'm like, I'm a leader. I can't get out there. If I fail, will people say, oh, I'm not, I'm going to stop following Jason overcome Redmond because that guy can't even do, you know, all these push. It's silly. It's silly. But you know what? Those were the things going through my mind. And I had this epiphany the day he was doing it. I didn't go do it with him last Sunday. And I said, you know what, man, you need to stop. You talk all about getting off the X. You talk about confronting fear and uncomfortable situations head on. And you are shirking back for more. So on Sunday afternoon uh, in my living room, I told my wife, I'm going to try the 1020 challenge. And uh, I made it to, I made it 39 rounds. You have to go 60 before I gave out. Uh, so 670 some push-ups I managed to do, um, but I didn't do the 1020. So I was right, but you know what? I realized that people are going to relate to that. People are going to understand that you know it's much better to go after it and fail. There's so many more lessons out of that. And not only that, I know where I am now. And you know what else I learned? My my elbow didn't break off doing it. So. And these are the things. So that's probably the biggest lesson I learned last week that I got to I got to always continue to lean into discomfort and not be afraid of failure just because I'm worried about what somebody else will think. Uh, thank you. Yeah, Dave. Absolutely, man. I love it. OK, we have a question from Mike. I'm not sure this is Mike from our team, actually. So we'll find out. Hi. Yeah, this is Mike. Uh, I just wondered how you deal with like negativity and people who don't believe in your plan. You know, I encounter that. I encounter that from time to time. And I won't lie. Sometimes it bothers me, but I just try and push to the backside. Um, I'll be honest, my, my entire, I'm the most unlikely person to become a SEAL. I mean, I'm not a real big guy. I'm, I'm 5'8 and 170 pounds. And, uh, but when I went to training, I was literally the proverbial 95 pound weekly. I was a very slow, I, I was slow to grow up. Uh, when I first decided I wanted to become a SEAL, I literally was like five feet, 95. When I went through SEAL training, I only weighed, I think, uh, 135 pounds. As a matter of fact, when I went through Hell Week, I lost a whole bunch of weight and I dropped to 117. There's a picture in my book, The Trident, of when I graduated from, uh, or when I finished Hell Week, and <laughs> I literally looked like I just stopped, stepped out of Auschwitz. I mean, I'm just skin and bones and look like I just got my ass kicked. So... I, I just, I'll be honest, I try and ignore it. I'd, I'd love to tell you it never bothers me. It does sometimes, you know, sometimes the attacks that are out there and the stupid things that people say, it bothers you. But at the end of the day, I have always pushed through that. I've always ignored the naysayers and I'm not a braggart. Instead, I like actions to be able to show the results. And I just say, you know what, you know, you have your beliefs, but I'm here and you're where you are. And I will keep driving forward and I will try and motivate and inspire people around me. My goal in this life, the mission of what I am doing is that I hope someday when I die at my funeral, everyone there will say, you know what? That guy made me better. Every time I was around him, he said, or he did something, or gave me a positive word that made me better. That's my goal. That's my mission in life. And, uh, and I don't have time to fret or worry about those naysayers. I mean, they're there. They'll always be there. Keep driving forward. Destination, course, get off the X. Awesome. We have Sasha and Devin from our team who have a question. Hey there. Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. Thanks, Jason, for the awesome talk. I like how actionable it was. I guess we both kind of have a question. For the three Ps, the one for the professional life is going through kind of like a normal work day and checking all the things off your to-do list, kind of fulfilling that professional P, or is it more like, bigger growth in your career kind of thing? I, I like, for me, I like the bigger growth in my career. There's a great book called The One Thing, if you've never read it. And it is about drilling down to focus on what is truly the one thing that moves the needle in your life or your career. Uh, all of us every day get inundated with all the minutia of, of work, the emails, the fires that spring up. When you're a leader, everybody's drawn on your attention. The phone calls. All of that, right now, all the deck on Zoom, virtual meetings we're having, all of that pulls on you. So what is the one thing you can do, you know, even if you're only blocking off an hour that you're working on it, that you know is moving the needle in your professional life? So um, Alex, that's a, is it Alex? Devin. 
heaven. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that that is what I would focus on when you write that professional goal. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. We have a couple of questions I can read from the chat. What book do you tend to gift most to others? So I hate to say this, but I guess it's my books, which is kind of sad. <laughs> Um, I just was going to ask which of the two. Right? Uh, well, it's kind of funny. So Trident is the first book, which became a bestseller, a New York Times bestseller. But um, so many people ask me, well, how did you do what you did? You know, so it, it's, a, it's a memoir and it's a story and there's lots of lessons in it. Whereas Overcome, which came six leaders, is more of the how-to book to the Trident. So if I re recommend one or the other, the Trident's an amazing read. It's an amazing story. You can infer the leadership lessons out of it. But Overcome is literally a, a how-to book to deal with crisis and adversity and how to be a better leader. So this is probably the one that I would uh, recommend. Uh, second, so if we want to get away from my book, I'll, I'll be honest, recently, the book that I'm recommending to a lot of people, and, and I'll admit, I, I am a fan of reading. I'm, I'm a little bit of a deep thinker. There's a great book called Hannibal and Me, and it is a book about leadership and how different leaders approach problems and think outside the box and how sometimes it's all about when Hannibal came across the Alps and went down and attacked Rome. And Hannibal was an amazing general, like the Romans literally were outmatched, but Hannibal wasn't willing to, Hannibal wasn't willing to try and attack or penetrate the walls of Rome. So he decided to just wait. And what happened is over 14 years, they just fought skirmishes and the Roman leaders figured out how to stall him out long enough that ultimately a Roman uh, general uh, beat Hannibal. And uh, they also talk about, so they, they show this from different leaders and their styles and how they do things, uh, along with modern day leaders. They talk about post-war Germany. Uh, the book's actually written by a German uh, and it was translated to English, but it just, I read it about a year ago and it just blew me away. I just love the way they looked at leadership in different scenarios because oftentimes we think there's just one solution to a problem. And, and just you look at the way different leaders look at different problems. And I was just kind of fascinated by that. So that's a book I've been recommending and sending to a lot of people to some of my friends. Awesome. I think we have, I'm not sure how much more time we have, but I'll read this question right here. How can I, as a friend, continue my optimism and support a friend who's injured and keeps comparing himself to his past when he could be performing physically better? This is from Penloy. Penloy. Penloy, okay. so, <laughs> I'm going to answer that. I just saw uh, Mark Beasley, Brigadier General, retired United States Air Force on here. Uh, Mark, hey, much love. I just want to thank you. I would not be here if it wasn't for the Air Force. Mark, it was a fourth SOS crew. Uh, all uh, the main the the main key individuals in the crew received distinguished, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, distinguished flying crosses, and the rest of the crews received air medals for that mission, and rightfully so. So much love. I'll just tell you this: that there was nobody left after that firefight when we pulled out. Uh, I think they expended all their ammunition in that aircraft by the time we left. So uh, there, there was, uh, so there was nobody left to brag about what happened. That's for sure. All right, Penloy. So here's an interesting thing. How can I, as a friend, continue my optimism and support for a friend who's injured and keeps comparing himself to his past? So I am going to go to this book, and there's a specific reason why. When I got injured, I told myself the same thing. I wanted to be back to the Jason Redmond before my injuries. And when I finally was strong enough to start working out again, I oftentimes left the gym uh, depressed. I wouldn't finish workouts because I could not even come close to doing many of the things I used to do. And, uh, and I know there's a lot of individuals that have been injured or something has happened that want that. They think that they're looking back at the past instead of looking at the future as far as getting off the X. I finally came to understand that all of us so imagine, if you will, you're a yardstick, you know, but an injury has occurred. So a chunk of your yardstick has been taken out. It just has been obliterated by an accident. But amazing yardstick doctors came along and they put your yardstick back together. But the problem is you're no longer a yardstick. You're no longer 36 inches. Now maybe you're 35 or a little less, depending on the amount of damage you've had. 
So we're never going to get back to those full 36 inches to a full yard. Instead, we have to look at how we become the best full version of ourselves now. And once I started to wrap my head around that, that became my goal. And I just had to accept there were some things I couldn't do. But I don't know if you saw in that video at the beginning, like like a, a clean and jerk for me, I can't do it because I can't bend this elbow more than this anymore. So what I have to do is I have to do this crazy dynamic move where I bring the bar up and I catch it out on my arm. I had to modify the way I do things. I'll never be able to do as much weight as some other people out there, but it doesn't matter. It's about being able to do the most that I can do. And if you can teach him that, if you can encourage him to do that, tell him to follow some of my videos. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that are doing the same thing. Tell him to follow Noah Galloway. Noah Galloway is an amazing wounded warrior. He was on Dancing with the Stars. He lost an arm and a leg, and he's a physical beast. And uh, if he, if those guys can do it, anybody can, you know? So just, just focus on him becoming the best version of his new self. And, uh, and, and there's a whole chapter in my book that's about that, about my journey, how I, how I finally came to figure that out. Okay. I think that we have answered all of the questions. I so appreciate you being here and everyone. I know that he can't see you, but you can give him a, a virtual thank you. Um, we appreciate it. And I have a question for you to end, to end today. You talked about your mission being to help everyone uh, say they, you made their life better. You helped them see something or accomplish something. What is one thing that everybody who's watching right now can help you accomplish your mission today? I need an instant cure for coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, is that asking too much? No? <laughs> I'll put that on the list. Uh, you know, I am, uh, you know, obviously there's all the little wins that come along with running a coaching business. I mean, if, if you guys want to go to my website and purchase our book, that would be an amazing thing that, you know, has a direct dividend. One, it'll help you, I guarantee, if you read it. Uh, the Overcome book, like I said, is, is a great one. We have book bundles on there. Uh, two, um, you know, there's a lot of events out there. We're planning for the future. Um, I really enjoy motivating and inspiring people from a stage and meeting them in person at events. So please pass the word, tell people, Hey, we met this guy. We really enjoyed his message. I think he could be a great addition to your event and send him my way. You know, I have two websites, jasonredmond.com or getoffx.com. Jasonredmond.com is my speaking site. Getoffx.com is my coaching and consulting site in the online store. You know, follow me on socials. I'm out there just, I'm, I'm, I've seen a lot of negativity in this world. So I try my best to just be a positive, bright light, like a lighthouse to try and help people find their way. Love that. All right. Well, I know of a few events that are coming up. One is our Hyperfest event. So we'll talk about that. And thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm sure everyone will do their best to pass along your information so you can share that light. Gary, thank you. I appreciate all of you. Get off that X. Rule of three Ps. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Have a great night. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.